Here we go. Ha-ha! Woof! Woof! Yeah! Woof! Sit. <laughs> Welcome, one and all, to show number two of the yeah. Mighty Countdown to Five podcast. Hold on to your potatoes! We're counting down to Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, taking a deep dive into every Indiana Jones movie along the way. Paul Preston of the Movie Guys here with you alongside me. Sean Blodgett of Creative Motion Entertainment, but you know that! And we are in the Admiral's Club in Burbank, California, and as of this taping... We are 70 days away from the release of The Dial of Destiny. So close. June 30th. Oh my gosh. 70? Because if you said, like, look, we are taking steps now and we'll have climate change under control by 2050, (laughs) that feels really far away. (laughs) Dial of Destiny, 70 days? 70 days. 10 weeks. And can I just tell you, I'm so excited about watching it with, like, different people, Uh, like, different relatives that maybe when I was a kid I uh, I watched some of these movies with or like even my mom I was like man I should go see this movie with my mom like you know I I don't know when oh. the, you know I'm, I'm just like wow this is very nostalgic a lot, lot of nostalgia coming up for me but today speaking of nostalgia yeah Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. That is today's movie. <laughs> so much to unpack. I mean right out of the gate I'm a, this is a scary scary movie. Scary. Yeah. I've seen yeah. it within the last three or four months, but you just watched it for this? I just watched it for this, oh, and I I, boy. I I mean, we're going to get into it, but I could not believe how much I didn't remember. That's shocking. Yeah, how how fantastic, I mean, it's fantastic, of course, but my goodness, it is it is intense. Yeah. It, it is intense, but also funny. There's some really funny moments, so anyway, go on. Ford may be at his funniest in this movie. <laughs> well, I, mean, I don't know. I think, I think Last Crusade really takes it for me last crusade takes it well all right okay go ahead we'll unpack that go for it but i mentioned dial of destiny sean do we have updates on that movie we do have updates on dial of destiny okay so they're saying dial of destiny disney disney when i say there i mean disney right yeah uh they're saying dial of destiny is going to be the end of the franchise now that wording seems very suspect to me yeah. It seems very odd that you would say the end of a franchise. Because <sighs> I now, said it could continue with Short Round or Young Abner Ravenwood. And I think that's those are decent ways to go with it. But is that franchise, or are they pulling a fast one saying Indiana Jones is done, but we still got these other things in there? Yeah, the, maybe. The I, and you've mentioned that before about doing a Short Round and uh, a series. And I have to say, after watching Temple of Doom... I mean, I already thought it was a good idea. Now I think it's an even better idea. There's this, there, there's moments in in Temple of Doom, especially when that one moment. I know I'm jumping ahead, but he says, "Indy, I love you," and you know, there's this relationship there, this very father son kind of thing. You know, it makes you wonder. Of course, he's not in <laughs> the other movies. What happened to him? Did did Indy, you know, take him to America and kind of start up a new life for him and help him find a family? And I mean, I would I would love to see all of that unfold and then see. What did he become? Did he somehow get tied up into into all of this, wrapped up into, you know, this world of of finding these strange, wonderful things, or or did he go a whole different route? I I don't know. But but, but if you do that, can you recast? No, you can't. No. So, well, you... well, well. I mean, you could. But should, well, should you, you 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 can't recast, but you can go a little bit older, like you know, to show him. You know, maybe maybe coming to America, you know, the the sort of first moments with family and then maybe, you know, teenage years a little bit. And, and then we go into him being an adult. I, I mean, I I just think and, and and of course, the adult should be him. Right. Yeah. Should be. <laughs> should be. Yeah. So. Oh, sorry. OK. So on to on to other news. Um, we're, I'm, I'm just so excited about that. I, I think that should really happen. So. Um, oh, a Fiat from Dial of Destiny is already for sale. There's a website you can go to if you want to buy the Fiat. That's crazy. Yeah. But the um, point is, again, I think another sign of confidence. Someone would want to buy this from a movie that's not even out yet. Normally, like we're still selling like whips and hats from the original movies that are out there. So 
to buy something already from the new movie is like, well, this is going to be good. I mean, I think... At least that's how I want to read it. <laughs> I, there's a part of me that says, you know, I mean, look, I, I do think this movie is going to be good. Um, I, I'm, I'm really into, like, watching all of it unfold. I, I mean, I think it's going to be great. I also think that because it has Disney money behind it, the the marketing juggernaut that is Disney is already just like pummeling stuff. I mean, Harrison Ford is all over the place doing interviews and I mean, it's just it's it's happening and I not that that stuff doesn't normally happen for a film, but I feel like it's happening a little bit more and it's because it's Disney. Let's not look over the fact that Disney is lucking out that Harrison Ford has done the first two television shows right. in which he is a major player. He did right. TV in his early career ever. And so they're going to ask him about Indiana Jones. There's some free press when he does the junket for these other shows. Right, and absolutely. now he hasn't even begun the Dial of Destiny junkets, which will be right. between May and June. Right, so, right. Uh, yeah. And with that, there I also read there will be a tribute to Harrison Ford at Cannes. We talked about how this film is going to debut at the Cannes Film Festival. They're also going to do a tribute. I would love to be there for that. I would love to see that video highlight reel. It's got to be nine hours You long. should do the video <laughs> highlight reel highlight because reel. If, you, if you're not watching the Ford Fiesta to get ready for the tribute for Harrison Ford, you're missing out. So tune into the movie, guys. Watch the Ford Fiesta. It's fantastic. We, uh, so there you go. We love that, man. Yeah. Here I mean, you know. Here he is. He's... <laughs> I mean, you know, he is so great. And uh, again, to prepare for this, I did watch a bunch of behind the scenes. And and there's just stuff that Harrison Ford does as an actor and as a person that he just has no fear, you know. And, and I think that's at the basis of really, really mm. fine acting. Is, is it's a good the, observation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just the willingness to, like, have no fear, jump in and just do it. Uh, you know, anyway, we'll talk. Well, I'll, I'll tell a quick story. Uh, the Bridge. That everything happens on, right? Such they they had this they had this bridge built for the film, right? Wasn't there? And you know, Steven Spielberg apparently has a huge fear of of like heights and being on this bridge. Like he does not want to go anywhere. He even designed most of his shots so he didn't have to go like few, like more than a few feet onto that bridge because he did not want to be on the bridge. They show the bridge to Harrison Ford. What's the first thing he does? He runs across it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no fear. Also, the 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 final uh, update is one of my favorites. They dropped a new trailer, and I know you saw it. I saw it, and and what I loved about it the most was it. It was the first time we got a glimpse of what the story's going to be, and the story sounds awesome. And all of the characters fit perfectly. It fits perfectly into the Indiana Jones world. Um, and I, all of that was just really, really cool. Which, by the way, speaking of the Indiana Jones world, I just want to say an observation I had real quick, which is, as opposed to Star Wars, which, of course, I bring up Star Wars a lot because I'm such a big fan, but as opposed to Star Wars, which always had this sort of linear story going on, even though they jumped back and did prequels and then they did sequels and all that stuff, but there's this, like, linear story, right? That movie's supposed to connect to this and this is supposed to connect to that. Indiana Jones... Singular movies, but a series of films, right? I, I just love that. Because you could watch them all, or you could watch one, and, and you're going to love it. And you're going to know who the character is. You're going to know, you're going you're gonna to have a connection with him, and, and you're going to enjoy the ride no matter what. So I just, right out of the gate, that to me is also great storytelling and filmmaking. Yeah, it was funny when we did our show for uh, Raiders, by the time it came out, the new trailer had come out, so we were all hyped for the Super Bowl spot. <laughs> right, And now right. this new spot is just everything. I mean, good Lord. The fact that they went a different route than Indiana Jones has ever marketed before by using the Rolling Stones yep. to signify, okay, we're well into the 60s now. Yeah. You know, let's just set us in a place and then halfway through bring in the Indiana Jones score that we know and love, set us up for Action City. And by the end, he's like, I've been looking for this my whole life. Yeah. What is it? Is yes. it? It's not the dial. It's, I'm sure it's what the dial can bring him. Oh, good Lord. It's going to be incredible. I will say this about trailers in general, and we've talked a little bit about trailers. You know, there's a style of trailer editing and there's there's a handful of houses that you know trailer edit houses that do these trailers and there's like sort of a way that they that they do them and there was an editor who who broke down what these what the style is and it's always these moments right like you know maybe you have a a ting at the beginning and it goes into like a popular song but a different version of the popular song and we sort of have the set i mean and he does it all with 
basically text on the screen like yeah. here now we're gonna have this and now we're gonna have that and now we're gonna have this and pre- and, and it kind of kind of breaks you for <laughs> for watching yeah. trailers you're like I'm never gonna watch trailers oh, the, the same old way movie again. Showcast. Yeah, the old podcast days to do the movie showcast. Yeah. We, that our show was a preview show, so yeah. it would come out the day before the Friday where all the movies open, and we would talk about what's coming up. So right. all we were dealing with were the trailers. We goofed on it. I mean, good lord, all, the creepy kids singing. You right. know, like all the movies like have creepy kids singing <laughs> yes. them. Zippity doo Yes. You know, whatever. And like, it's, <laughs> what does it have to do with anything? Nothing, I, but it's creepy kids singing, and he got the tone. Yeah. You know, right down to all the bwongs and stuff that uh, the Batman movies and Transformers, the bwong. You know, oh. what, what is that? Bwong? Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, you know, it's suddenly the, the trends and trailers are crazy. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm sure they're in the Indiana Jones trailer, but it still looked pretty classic. Yeah, movie, so. it did. And I just watched it again last night in preparation for this, and I. I love it even more. You know, yeah, I love I've when you, I, three or four times. I love when you have a good trailer and a movie you're excited about. And you're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch this again because I just love it. And somebody <laughs> broke down all the things that are in Indy's house or condo or wherever oh. he is in the opening shot when he's on the recliner. Yeah, and when, the when stones he wakes kick up. In yeah, 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 yeah. There's like, oh, here's a picture of. Uh, here's the, the shot glass looks like a Marion shot glass. I'm like, okay, that's a stretch, but maybe. <laughs> so he's, he's like, I'm, I'm head, pretty know? sure that was from that scene, you know? Yeah, oh, they're, they're loving it. We can pick all this stuff apart, you know? Hey, Indy's landing right now. He's coming to see us. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But listen, he's not because he knows how to fly. Land? No! <laughs> all right, so you're probably wondering what Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is about. Well, it's a story that'll tear your heart out. <laughs> And we have the most famous archaeologist in the world, Indiana Jones himself, to tell us all about it. Now, that is two shows in a row. Sean, you're you're going above and beyond as a producer. I'm excited to hear from him one more time. I mean, who better to tell us about his exploits than the man himself? Here we go. Did you enjoy my adventures in 1936? Well, now it's 1935. And for some reason, my biceps and traps are bigger than they were when I rescued the Ark from Hitler. But here's what's important. I've had all kinds of adventures before the Ark. And now, I'm sitting across the table from a very handsome crime boss named Lao Shea. The only problem is, he'd like me dead. In fact, he makes me dead. But I scramble to get the antidote for the poison he gave me and escape a Shanghai nightclub with a splitting headache named Willie Scott, for which there is no antidote. Now, Willie and I end up in the back of a car driven by Oscar winner Short Round, who gets us to a plane which gets us in the air with no fuel. Willie, Short Round, and I jump out of the plane in an inflatable raft and land on the snow unharmed. Because I'm a professor, and if I know one thing, it's that the cushiest spot on the raft is the center where everyone sits. Anyway, this is not my first plane crash, and it won't be my last. There's going to be at least four more if you count that one at the golf course. Eventually, we end up in India, and immediately I want to dial 911 because there's a creepy shriveled guy on the shore waiting to say hello. He says his village is missing a rock. Well, you say that aloud and you sound like a nut until I realize he's talking about a Shankara stone. You know what that is? Fortune and glory, kid. So I'm thinking I'm going to get me one of those $200,000 houses. Really splurge. Maybe a $30,000 car. Oh, and a gold typewriter. And, yeah, of course, if time remaining, the stone will bring life back to the village and return the villagers' children. So we're off to Pankot Palace, where we're treated to a meal sponsored by old, old country buffet. Bugs, eels, monkey brains. It was enough to make me forget the exposition going on at the same time. And I was the one saying it. But the point is, there's a cult called the Thuggy, but the Maharaja denies their existence. The kids seemed a little spooked, though. Like he put his trust in the Thuggy, and they took that trust and brainwashed him into supporting their child labor minds. Hearing that kind of stuff will just tear your heart out. Or Mola Ram will. Oh yeah, there's a guy named Mola Ram who's still running a thuggy cult in the back of a pizza shop in Washington, D.C. and in the back of Pankot Palace. So, I see the three Shankara stones in a human sacrifice temple honoring the goddess Kali and I grab them. Go back to the village and save the day. No, of course I don't. Because I'm the greatest hero of all time and I'm not leaving without all of us. 
Well, there's this little delay where I was force-fed ayahuasca and tripped balls, almost helping kill Willie in a careless display of pre-PG-13 violence. But it turns out you just had to burn me and the Maharaja to snap us out of it. Then it was Action City. As Pad Roach tried to kill me, again, last time I cut his head off with an airplane. This time I chop up his body in a rock crusher. I imagine in my later adventures I'll cut off his penis and beat him to death with it. I mean, how much worse can it get for this guy? Anyway, no sooner than you can say, no time for theme park rides, Dr. Jones. Shorty and I free the kids and are chased by thuggies in a minecart. What Moeller Am thought would be his last encounter with me was an attempt to wash me out of the mines. He literally tried to flood me out like I'm a gopher and Moeller Am is Carl Spackler. Well, we end up on a rope bridge with henchmen on either side. Crocodiles down below. I mean, this is clearly the finale. Eventually, I bring up Shiva, and that causes the stones to glow. This causes the demise of Molaram. I mean, between this and Lao Shea's diamond, I'm done with rocks. But nevertheless, I take the rock back to the village and reunite the missing kids with their families and laugh it up with Willie and Shorty until our next adventure. No doubt in 1934. Well, there you go. Oh, man. You're all... <laughs> That's <laughs> just so much to take in, man. <laughs> yeah, he can't quite really Woo. tell you. He, he left out a little gravitas, but other than I, that. I, <laughs> I mean, it's just so much. There's so much happening. Oh, my goodness. All right. Thank you, Indy, for giving us your time and effort. Thank you, Indy. Thank you. Today and in the movies. Yeah. I know you feel this way. I feel this way. One of my favorite things about movies is the opportunity to, to share in it with people and to talk about it you know when you see a movie that that you leave and you're like ah, what do you want to get to eat and you have nothing to say about the film Ouch. that's that's when you know it's yeah. not a great film right but when you leave and you're like i just couldn't believe that it ended that way or i can't believe this or i mean you know and um and i may have talked about this on other episodes but i had a friend of mine i used to have a real this was when i was much younger but i used to have a real issue with going to the movie theater and like being frustrated with people like stacking on things and things opening and like somebody talking and da da da. And then I had a friend of mine who's a filmmaker who said, all that stuff is good. And the reason it's good is it really tells you as a filmmaker what's working, what is really engaging people. And it's really part of the film going experience. And after he told me that, I, 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 I let down my guard. <laughs> And and it just changed my movie going experience, and now I embrace all of that because I know that you know may, maybe somebody's opening up a candy wrapper not just because they're hungry. Maybe there's a moment that's making them uncomfortable, you know. Maybe it's making them feel something they're not used to feeling. I mean, everybody processes their emotions differently, and I think that's that's to be applauded. And that's honestly part of what the genre, what what the art form is about, right? It's about challenging us as humans. It's about challenging our thoughts and our feelings about what what life is. What do we what do we believe and why do we believe it, right? Right. So get off the phone. That's what I <laughs> Good button. Good button. Uh all right. Well, let's dig into our own memories, our own nostalgia. Yeah. Our, our, when we were young pups Aww. and we went to see Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom in the theater, I did. Uh, the year was 1984. <laughs> the film came out May 23rd. Tagline to true in, if adventure has a name, it must be Indiana Jones. That's a great tagline, right? It's a great tagline, but it's an out-and-out lie. Because uh, for this movie, this is not an adventure movie. This is a horror film. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, well, it, it becomes scary in parts, but good lord, the adventure? What, are you kidding me? Okay, what, yes. Beginning it's, to it's, end, it's, it's wall it's, to wall. You're right. It's an adventure film, but my god, it's a horror film. <laughs> And by the way, even even Steven Spielberg and George Lucas acknowledge that. And George Lucas even says in an interview that, it, you know, the film kind of got a little darker than I uh, than we planned. And, uh, you know, I was, I was going through a dark time myself. I was, I was in the middle of a divorce. Lucas so. and Spielberg <laughs> attributed the dark tone to their breakups where in the film they literally rip the heart out of a man right <laughs> so yeah no metaphor it's yeah. just straight up that there it's a four there for it this, is <laughs> yeah for this cast in i think was kind of out but he, he was involved anyway uh but <laughs> mate, that's why they went with willard hike and gloria katz to, to write the script right Do oh were who they, they were from american graffiti by the way correct yes which which is uh i thought that was interesting i mean you know i like you know, it's just like our group, right? Like we bring in people we know, we bring in people that we like working with. I mean, you know, that's, I think that's, again, part of the fun of filmmaking is 
is getting to enjoy the process with other people that want to have fun doing it, you know, because the days can be long, could be stressful, could be scary, could be intimidating. Who knows, right? You could have real bugs on the set, which they did. Which they did, <laughs> yes. And the result was a 28, $28.1 million budget. That's $8 million more than Raiders. And the earnings, $333.1 million. So obviously, well made back the budget and beyond. It was the highest opening weekend of 1984, and there was a lot of competition. 84, as we all know, one of the great years ever for like pop culture movies. Oh my Star Trek Three, Karate Kid, Gremlins, uh, Ghostbusters, on and on and on. Can I just say Star Trek Three? I think probably my favorite of that entire series. Hey, I got the Christopher Lloyd Klingon. <laughs> uh, what could be better? So, yeah. Uh, I saw it in the Oneonta Theater, my hometown Oneonta, New York. I saw it in the theater, an old vaudeville house turned movie theater where they walled off the balcony and put in a second cinema. Currently, it's a big nothing. That's how mm. it is. And the other cinema that gentleman owned, Mr. DeGraw, he owned the Showcase Cinema on the other side of town. That's like a laundromat. It was like totally gone. So that's sad. I wish someone would revive that theater, but um, I imagine it would have to have a lot of modernity brought to it. Um big cavernous space though to watch giant screen to watch mm. this i went six nights in a row to see Indiana wow. Jones the temple of doom because that you opening... watched the wait how old were you 14 okay okay 14 year old and you watched six nights in a row three bucks a pop John. i mean <laughs> that i mean even at that even at that age that level of commitment to cinema Took Top Gun. Unparalleled people. It took Top Gun for it to go to five bucks. But three dollars to go see this? I know. No big thing. Yeah, I just was absolutely knocked out. I've been waiting, you know. Mm. I know. You Star Wars fans who get two series a year, you don't know what the three-year wait was like. It was brutal. And then there was going to be another five-year wait until The Last Crusade. Can I just say, I, you know, this is definitely my age talking, but I miss... I miss that a little bit. I miss yeah. the anticipation and the waiting. I don't miss the length because that used to be like really long. It felt like forever. But I do miss that that when we were kids, that that feeling of like, man, this is not going to come out. Well, I guess I'll have to go watch Raiders again just to like, you know, get, get my fix <laughs> in the meantime. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I kind of love that. It took a while for that to happen. You know, yeah. Until oh, yeah. to come along. Yeah. So. Uh, much of the Chinese... Oh, wait, hold on. Okay, so my... I'm just going to jump in my memory of... of oh, yes, please. Uh, yeah. Okay, so my memory of watching Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, once again, is watching it at home, mostly. <laughs> that... that, that I, I, I just watched it... You know, these movies, these types of movies, watched them over and over again. You know, had some terrible bad copy that we got, and, it, you know, but riveted. And even as a young person... I think disturbed by <laughs> by by what this one was, um, and and probably couldn't put my finger on why it was so different at the time, but uh, but definitely different. But loved it nonetheless. And Indiana Jones, take him how I can get him. He's awesome. You know, it wasn't until this last screening that I realized Kali is a female god. How much of a horror movie can this be, Sean? Come on. What's <laughs> Uh, so other el- other elements of the story that changed, they wanted to go before Raiders so we didn't have Nazis again, which is funny because every other movie is just leaning on Nazis. Right, right, this, right. Even Dial of Destiny, yeah. right? Yeah, like, <laughs> they're like, we're going to right all of the wrongs. of yeah. Yeah, but All the Nazis in hiding, that's fun, you know? Yeah. But, because, man, there's so much of World War II where Indiana Jones is probably kicking Nazi ass, but right. we, don't, we right. never got to see it because there are too few Indiana Jones movies over time. But, yeah. Uh, we'll get one more, and uh, but this time is the only time they've really went entirely outside of that, right? Thuggy cults and and all that. So that's totally different. Uh, I like the development of that. I mean, you know, I I think the development of the story. Um, the both of the writers had been to India. They were very interested in Indian culture, even though ultimately India was offended by the script, very much. mainly about the use of Maharaj in the script. They didn't like that that was in the script. They they wanted that to be taken out. And there were a couple other things they wanted changed or taken out. And eventually, I think it was the art director who finally just said, I have had enough of this. I found all the same loca- or similar locations in Sri Lanka, with the exception of the uh, uh, pa- Pankot. Is that how I say that? Pankot Palace. Pankot Palace. Uh, that was the only thing that, that they ended up having to do some visual effects to get to. But, um, but yeah, yeah. 
pretty yeah, amazing. Roshan, Seth, and Amish Puri, the two active, downplayed their involvement in the film, which is a shame because it's such a huge hit, but because oh of the whole God. Indian culture, was, yeah, it, it was all a very sensitive subject. I mean, looking at it now, I mean, you know, there's so many movies that we grew up with that, that you know, we live in a sensitive time, a different time, and, and you know, how would this movie be, be received today? If it, you know, if it were released, I mean, you know, certainly there is a, a, a specific take on on all of that. And, you know, would, would more people be offended and up in arms and, you know, yeah. The thin skinned people of today. Oh, yes. boy. <laughs> finding, wake up finding a reason to be upset. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right. But I'm glad I rewatched this for reasons we were talking about before. Harrison Ford might be at his funniest here mm-hmm. because, first of all. I look back on the film for years saying, this is just a goofy entry. It was so silly with Willie Scott's wacky antics, slapstick, and gross-out humor and all this stuff. I was like, they didn't do that in the first movie to that extent. It, they really went over the top, I think, with wackiness. And wacky wasn't my favorite part of Raiders. You know, mm-hmm. It was the adventure and the seriousness of the stakes, which get very serious here, but that it's coupled with all this nonsense. Now that I'm doing the Ford Fiesta, that last time I watched it, I'm just watching Harrison Ford. And watching Harrison Ford, he's none of those things. Mm. He is serious. He's on a mission. He's got stuff to do. And, but the lines he throws out to these maniacs around him absolutely kill. He is hilarious. you know. And so I re- if you want to watch this again, just watch Ford burn through this movie and be action city hero and smooth as can be, cool with the lines, great with flirting with, uh, with Willie. And he just does everything great. Um, but there is madness around him. Well, I'll say this. Um, he's a great actor. Yeah. And, you know, I remember being in acting school when I was a young lad. And um, one of my acting teachers, we had a section where we were just working on comedy. And I remember him talking about comedy being super real. Like, like drama's real, but comedy's super real. And I think a lot of people don't think about comedy in that way all the time. But I think there's a lot of value in that because when you really stop and think about the level of commitment that it takes you know look at Leslie Nielsen in the in the the Naked Gun movies he is he is completely committed to the reality of those given circumstances yeah. as an actor and playing it completely real even though it's compl- nice beaver right you know <laughs> playing it completely real and i think ford does the same thing he's just being a great actor he's just committing to the objectives, he's committing to the given circumstances, and he's doing the job that's being asked of him. And by the way, a job that he got injured doing, and then not only got injured, flew, they, they shut down the production, he flew to LA to get an experimental papaya enzyme back surgery, which I've never even heard of, and it was, and it was a success, and he came back and finished the movie. <laughs> he's the man, you don't have to convince me. Papaya yeah. enzymes. I've never heard of that. So, well, listen, <laughs> uh, it was Jake Steinfeld, who was the trainer to the stars, who got him in shape for this movie and for many of the films that he did. And by the way, Jake Steinfeld, great guy. I had the great opportunity to work with him years ago uh, on, a, on a really ultra low budget uh, feature. It was a challenging situation, but he was just such a great guy and super, you know, big, but Jacked, big, big heart. And, big I mean, muscles, big smile. Yeah. That's, I mean, just, yeah. And he was also... What, what was he in Ghostbusters 2 as well? He was like the cab driver or something in some uh, or there was something else. There was a couple other movies that, yeah, that Jake Steinfeld yeah. was in. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, super great guy and obviously did a great job. I mean, Ford's got so many moments where he has to like, you know, be shirtless, so they wanted him to be a little bit more buff. And we haven't even talked about it that this movie essentially goes back in time, which I still don't I still don't know the motivation for or or the reasoning for this being earlier. Do, do you know? what? Why is that? Do we have any real reasoning? Hmm. I mean, the British occupation of India, perhaps they wanted to be part of the plot. Was that mm. still a thing into World War II? I can't remember how long that went on. Oh, okay. So maybe so the, we've got some seem, sort of... I don't want to seem stupid. So, may, well, <laughs> I think we're past that. No, <laughs> uh, no but no, you know what? pre-show. Uh, <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I mean, I think conceptually that, make, like, that makes sense, right? Like we've got some sort of historical context. We can't change that. And yet, I don't know, there's all kinds of like <laughs> real life things that aren't real. Like the, the bats... They were not giant vampire bats. They were fruit bats. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, anyway. But but we can change those. Yeah. Well, listen. <laughs> you were lucky to get any bats. 
Uh, all right, so let's go through these characters. Speaking of Jake Steinfeld or whatever, uh, because we now have Willie Scott, named after Spielberg's Cocker Spaniel. Why are we naming all these characters after the dogs? Well, uh, in the story that I just <laughs> heard, uh, basically it was just Spielberg saying, you know, Indiana was the name right. of your dog, so I want the name of my dog in this movie, and that's where Willie came from so and i heard short run was named after willard hike's dog we'll have to oh. see if that's and that's not, not a joke that's what i read wow and that's i didn't internet, know that one that's awesome if it's on the internet you know it's true <laughs> so here's who else could have played willie sharon stone hmm i world. mean definitely different tone i think the thing that kate capshaw really really captured again was the level of commitment to the comedy you know she she and again she just, I would say a high level yeah a high level but but she just played the truth right the truth was her, and interestingly enough she claims that she didn't really know much like how to really scream she didn't really know how to scream hmm. and wow and it was, she does it well yeah and and she she says that Spielberg taught her how to scream uh, hey now. <laughs> it's family show maybe I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, she she says that. And the other thing that, that I, I think is interesting that she says, and we'll jump back into the cast, but is that she didn't really give the script a good read. Now, now I, as an actor, I, I, I always, I, I find that hilarious to hear when I hear big stars or big, be, ah, I kind of read the script. What? I mean, when we were studying acting, it was like the script is like gold. Like you go through the script and you find like what what other characters are saying about you. What 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 is the writer saying? Like what's in there? Like like tidbits of information. Like you you make notes about all this stuff. And she's like, yeah. I mean, she says she didn't even know about the snake thing, and she didn't you know didn't even know about the bug thing. And, and I'm like, did you read it at all? Because it's right there. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Considering she had no cachet at the time. She right. Was, you had you hadn't heard Space Camp. Did she even made that yet? No, that came out. I think the next year. I loved that movie when I was a kid. <laughs> the only thing does I that does that, say, does that say too much? <laughs> she must have seen the previous movie though, because she did dye her hair to separate herself from Marion. Oh, because she yeah. otherwise is, is a brunette. Yeah, they made a big thing of the dress too. By the way, lots of lots of. Oh, comments. I heard a story about that. There were lots of stories about that. It was a one-of-a-kind dress for the Anything Goes number, uh, with real beads from the 20s and 30s, and eventually it was partially eaten by an elephant. Yep. This could happen to a dress, a person. This, what and they had to file an insurance claim to, I think, fix the dress. And they're like, reason for the claim. Eaten by elephant. I mean, it's probably not every day as an insurance adjuster you get that in your mailbox. Pay it, because man, does she look gorgeous in the Pancot Palace sequences. I mean, Whatever dress you put on her in that oh movie my God. was just... Also, um, I, and we'll jump back to the cast, but I just want to say this. Speaking of that dress, there's a moment at the very top of the film when she comes out and the dancers are around her... And the image, so cinematic and beautiful, and and she's in that dress, and then the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom title kind of comes in around her. Mm -hmm. Now, for that time, to do that kind of composite with with text around a person was no small task. No, right? You know, now it's like, oh, I'll put it in just Adobe uh, the Photoshop, and then I'll put it in uh, After Effects, yeah, and then I'll and, yeah, yeah. I'll click the button, and the AI is going to come in and do the rest. You know, and it's like. <laughs> That's great. Back then, it's like somebody, you know, in a garage like this one, like trying to chop up film and, you know. So that composite was just, it's just such a beautiful cinematic image. And it was a tough one to do. And I don't think anybody really talks about it. So I want to talk about it. Is it, it kind of just erasing the text to reveal her underneath as opposed to any kind of, well, to today her, they just remove background, make multiple compos, you know, composite layers right. of the shot. Well, to put her on top. I mean, it, it's it's a... Uh, it's it's a technique that's used quite a bit now, especially in advertising, where like you know the words are kind of behind somebody and they're you know coming or they're just walking around the words falling. I mean, it's used quite readily now, but back then, I mean, I I don't even know if that had ever been. I wonder if that had ever even been done. I, I don't I don't remember that ever being been done before now. Well, hey, it won the Oscar then. for best visual effects, so maybe that's oh well there you go there you go. Okay, back to the cast. I totally derailed us. Go for it. Well, Oscar winner Ki Hui Kwan oh my God. beat out 6,000 other actors. You can only imagine what a call that was. To, like, we're making another movie like Raiders of a Lost Ark. What everybody wants in. So, yeah, tough to get that part, but he did it. And, and he wasn't even there to get it. That's the story. I mean, that's what's fascinating about that oh, I heard story. About that. Yeah, 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 I mean, he, he was there to help his brother... And the one I, I just heard in this documentary was that he was th like he was there helping his brother and they kept looking at him like 
who's that kid? Who's that? What is he doing? And and I, I love the story of like the I don't know if it was like the final audition or whatever, but you know he plays cards with Harrison Ford, and of course that basically ended up in the movie. Um, and if you watch the audition, yeah, it's it's almost it's almost the same thing. And and again, just a total level of commitment right yep. to to what is happening I mean, right out of the gate right they fall out of the sky they land in the car and he's like holy smokes you know i mean and 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 it, it it's kind of a silly line right holy smokes you, you know but he plays it so honestly you yeah. believe everything that comes out of that kid's mouth and and then later on i've already mentioned it but later on i mean this moment where he's like indy i love you and it's just Oh, just it's heart wrenching because he's so honest and amazing, and of course he's brought that into his adulthood. And it really, I do want to say this: it breaks my heart that it took this long for him to get these accolades, to continue to get these accolades, um, and that you know the industry has taken so long to catch up in terms of what storytelling can be. I want to hear about other people's lives that don't look like me. I want to know what what the world is around me i'm interested in that and we all should be because we're all human and we're all here to share in this yeah i mean he was always kind of behind the scenes doing martial arts so it was good to see that what he was doing as a kid he stuck with it clearly you watch everything everywhere all at once he is whooping ass all over the place by the uh, way do you know where he learned his martial arts from i would love to know watching jackie chan films oh, there you go now he <laughs> says this is he says this in this interview that i watched he says, I, I learned about watching Jackie Chan films. Now, I'm putting my head back to the 80s. Do you remember Jackie Chan films in the 80s? No, because we didn't Police have Jackie story. Chan films yeah, right. <laughs> in the 80s, right? Yeah. That was more of a 90s, early 2000s thing that really started happening. But then that, his, was, that was here in America, yeah. right? Of course, in Hong Kong, right? He's all over the place. He's you know, So he's watching these movies as a kid, and I'm like, oh, oh, okay, this makes sense. Interesting, so... Uh, Pat Roach returns as the massive thuggy guard. They, he fights, ends up going into a, like a rock grinder. But that's the same dude, of course, he has to fight with Indiana Jones at the plane in Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I think he showed up in another Wait, one. Wait, is it the same guy? It's the same guy. Uh, now, that I didn't know. He just loves beating up that guy. <laughs> and, he, and he loved getting beaten up. Oh, my God, that's brilliant. Yeah. And I always worried about like, oh, no, he didn't get his, like, why don't we know more about it? That dude worked all the time. He was in Bond movies. He did all sorts of stuff. Here's something interesting about that scene with the Rock Crusher and the fight scene. Uh, they shot that while Harrison Ford was back in L.A. getting his back surgery with his stunt double. And then when Ford came back, basically they just went back and got his close-ups. Hmm. Now, that is a testament to Steven Spielberg as a director because that's somebody who knows what they need to get, you know? So there you go. Uh, he might just be the most uh, brilliant director of all time. Yeah. Uh, did you notice they used alligators uh, sometimes doubling as crocodiles? <laughs> I'm out. That's it. Somebody call the ASPCA. They said it was crocodiles. <laughs> uh, and, of course, you have the usual suspects working on the tech aspects of the film. Dennis Murin, Joe Johnston, Ben Burt, uh, legend, legend, legend. We also have to mention Douglas Slocum because, you know, he came back, you know, with the uh, uh, with the gaffer and the electric crew and the lighting crew and all that stuff. You know, these are the same guys. I mean, like as soon as they show up on set, they're like, it's been a few years, but it, it, it feels like everybody knows each other. And I think that was part of why they were so excited to come back and make this film because Raiders did come together so well. I don't want to say it came together easily, but it certainly came together smoothly right and i think they were excited to be back you know and doing a new film and doing such a different film right i mean it was surprising on so many levels and it in terms of a of a quote sequel it it, it was very different and and we really were engaged in that story in a very different way and and i i think that's that as much as the film scares me a little bit uh it 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 is a testament to filmmaking. Yeah, and 80% of that movie is sound stages at Elstree. Right? So yeah. Slocum's photography just doesn't make it look that way, you know? I so. mean, he just knows he knows how, where to put the camera, what to do with the camera, and it, it, it just makes it... He, he does that job that's like, you know when people do a job and it's really complicated, but they make it look like they're just chewing gum? Right. That's that yeah. guy. That's yeah. Paul Newman. <laughs> yeah. All right, so we talked about Sharon Stone could have been uh, Willie Scott. She ended up being in one of those Alan Quartermain movies, so she kind of leaned into that genre eventually. But here are story bits that could have been. 
that were cut. India and a motorcycle chase on the Great Wall of China. Watch that. By the way, when I read all these, you'll go, well, where, here's our other five movies well, that we should have had. But some between... of them are in, like, the motorcycle chase. We have a motorcycle chase in Last Crusade. Yeah, we have one so, in, in Crystal Skull, too, but yeah. on the Great Wall of China. Wait, we Show. have one in Crystal? Oh, yeah, I guess so, huh? We do. Yeah. <laughs> That's how much I remember that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, a hidden valley inhabited by dinosaurs. The Monkey King. A well, do- a dog well f- we see the monkeys in... Uh, not not the monkeys, the singers, the actual in monkeys. Crystal Skull. Well, not even actual monkeys, CG monkeys <laughs> yeah. in Crystal Skull. So yeah, that that did survive. But they didn't have a king. This would have <laughs> a monkey. <laughs> they were monkeys without a leader. <laughs> this, would, this would have Mickey Dolans. Uh, a dog fight scene got cut. People who were uh, well, we see a dog fight scene. Last Crusade. It's not the same kind of thing. Like a dog fight. I think it's like I think I mean a dog fight. Like dogs fighting. Really? I don't think. I think they mean airplanes. You do? Yeah. It doesn't matter. They cut it. <laughs> People who became superhuman zombies after drinking the blood. So that would have been a different reaction uh, from the blood drinking. Yeah. A haunted castle in Scotland and the temple t- and the title Temple of Death was also thrown around before it got We see the the, the the Scotland castle in, in Last Crusade in your favorite scene where Indiana Jones... <laughs> Gets to play a character, what we've been waiting for for three movies. I love your your absolute disdain for that moment. <laughs> so I'll read this quote from Spielberg, and then you can tell us how you were scared by the movie. <laughs> the danger in making a sequel is that you can never... This is Spielberg. The danger in making a sequel is that you can never satisfy everyone. If you give people the same movie with different scenes, they say, why weren't you more original? So this was very different from the first movie. What hurt you? How did you get hurt, Sean? Uh, well, here's what I'll say. I'm I, I'm a very empathic, sensitive person, and and when I watch movies, I feel them quite deeply, and uh, it's it's one of the reasons why like I can't I I actually can't watch like I can't watch anything scary or or like dark images like at night I'll have I will have nightmares if things just stay with me I. I it's like I. It's have like you ever I saw like Alien or. Oh yeah, of course, of course, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I mean I I have to watch those kinds of movies at like eleven a.m. <laughs> because I I just if I watch it at night I'm gonna be thinking about it and and it's almost like I I watch a movie it's like eating a meal I watch it and then I digest it and then it and it I mean it really it really affects me in a very emotional way so much so that I mean here's a movie Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I grew up watching. I've certainly seen, you know, before, and I watched it the other day to get ready for this. And by the end of it, I actually was was tearing up when the kids came into the village. That's how how much emotionally the movie affected me. Now, what I'll say is, I don't love horror films or or scary movies generally because I am sort of a more sensitive to things. However, as a filmmaker, I love I love the genre. And I respect the genre, and the reason I do is because it does evoke real, honest emotions from an audience. The spooks and the jumps and the, all of that stuff, I mean, th- those things are are totally honest and fantastic, and I love that. So for me, I like I applaud that, and I think it's great. But And let me just say, this movie rips through more plot, adventure, and action in two hours and change than these shows now which need six, eight, ten hours to tell their story in a series. So more testament to Spielberg as a director. Well, I it's funny, I, I we were going through the script and I I saw you write that note down about that. And I wanted to comment and say, totally agree. It's yeah. it's it's an amazing thing. Uh I also think it's one of the things that these series suffer from is that they they have to have filler episodes which tend to be the episodes that all of the fans get angry at right because the episodes where that move story forward or moves character forward or whatever right that we want to see they they got to save it because they got to get at least eight to ten episodes out of it right so like i just saw there was a prequel to greece the rise of the pink ladies right and i was like oh i I might watch that it's a series i went i'm not i don't why do we need that why do we Wrap it up in two hours. You could tell the story of the rest. They did Greece in two hours. Did they, was that bad? Clearly not. It, they warrant more content from that world. So we're going to do it. But we don't need six to eight hours. I mean, have you heard so, about the sequel to Ferris Bueller's Day Off? That I did, being... but I can't say I don't. I the can't guys say who I hate, stole the car. But I can't say I hate Cobra Kai. So let's 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 lean into Cobra that. Kai is fine, but it ties right in directly to the to the storyline to our main characters, all that stuff. This this sequel to Ferris Bueller. 
supposed to be the guys that stole the car. <laughs> what? That's not a sequel. That's just another story based in that same universe. Anyway, um, back to our regularly scheduled program. Yeah, you were scared. All right, I was scared. And um, so what scared me? Well, first of all, the movie brings you in. And, and I mean, it, just like the whip, just like Indy with the whip, like it, it wraps around you and it just pulls you in, right? Mm-hmm. And it's relentless. I mean, that movie is relentless in tone, in pace, in in energy, in I mean, all of it. And you believe everything that's unfolding, and it's dark and it's scary, and, and I mean, and I think you hear these, you hear this in interviews with with Lucas and Spielberg, where they say you know, maybe we went a little too far with the scary and then we tried to offset that with comedy. We tried to offset that with moments of levity. So every so every time there's a, you know, horrible, terrible moment, you know, maybe two or three minutes later, there's going to be a moment of levity, which, you know, usually came in the, uh, it, it usually came in the form of Willie screaming or whatever, right? So, so I think they did a good job of balancing that a little bit, but I mean, my goodness, the the sequence with the the ripping the heart out of the guy and then burning him. I was like, I'm out because I before I was like, okay, should I watch? Should I should I have my kids see this movie? And then I'm like sitting there going, I cannot show this <laughs> to my son. This this will be days of him not sleeping. Like, yeah. And it's not just that scene. I mean, it just keeps on going with the intensity with Indy getting captured and then having to drink the blood. I mean, hit him hitting short round. Um, I mean, all kids of... Kids getting whipped. Yeah, I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, kids, kids getting, getting whipped. Uh, I mean, hypnotized. Yeah, I, I mean, all of this stuff, it's hard to watch. And again, because they play it honestly, they play it so clearly, honestly, and they commit to it. It's And it's fantastic the way they deliver it, but man, it's, it's a lot. But, you know... It is an adventure. I, maybe I misspoke earlier. It is adventurous, of course, but man, it's it it feels like a horror film a lot of the time, especially once we get to that part. Don't say they didn't warn you. They open with something called "Anything Goes." So, there you go. <laughs> speaking of which, there was the early uh, peak at Spielberg wanting to do a musical. We mentioned how he wanted to do a Bond film, and I think with Indy at the opening of this movie in the Tux, he's still putting a little Bond on. Uh, on Indiana Jones where he can. But, um, yeah, the whole anything goes number. It, it destroys all place and time. We go into another, we go in the dragon's mouth in the in the bar and suddenly we're in like a huge sound stage <laughs> and there's like a Busby Berkeley kicking and dancing. Yes, number. I love it so much. He just went nuts and you can see, okay, this guy wants to make a musical and then he made right. good on that, of course, with West Side Story and, well, and, by and the way, killed it. And by the way, that uh, Lucas was very encouraging about that. He knew that Spielberg wanted to do, loved musicals and wanted to do musicals, and he was very encouraging about him doing that number. So they didn't even know it was going to be anything goes in the beginning. That that came about sort of later on. So yeah, that's I mean. That's and let me cool. tell you that it, we haven't even talked about this man yet. And I'll make it quick, and then we'll get on to you know the, what the legacy of the movie is. But John Williams, mm. right, comes in. Doesn't have to do heavy lifting for a movie like this. Does anyway. Yeah. Comes up with new themes. <laughs> all sorts of new themes, yes, right? They just yes. could lean on the same crap before. We got the uh, Raiders March, the indie theme we all know and love. Yeah. But then from, you know, all that stuff, yeah. brand new and fresh, and all the creepy music from the 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 scene that scared you and, and others. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but here's the deal. We, uh, if you watch the beginning of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, you're thinking, Oh, I'm a little kid. I'm going, boy, I love Raiders. I hope this is fun. And then he does this like French horn blast. Like right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of goes, ah, into anything goes like before we even get to anything goes, mm-hmm. Williams just hits you with that French horn. I'm here and I got you. And don't worry, you're good. We uh, remember that, you know, that it's, it's just the greatest When I heard that. I'm like, Everything will be okay. I love I love your take on that. That's beautiful. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Everything will be okay. As long as John Williams is taking us along for the journey, everything's yeah. going to be okay. Gang's all here. Yeah, I mean, there's just so much that, that like, that opening sequence, I, when I watched it again this time, I was like, that opening sequence is just so fantastic. And it is, now that, I, that we've been talking so much about the history and the influence of this of, and Spielberg wanting to do a Bond film, that opening sequence is right out of a Bond movie. I mean, you know, the tux, the whole nine. 
I mean, it's it's so Bond esque. And and what's what's funny about it is even Ford kind of kind of plays a little bit more suave and a little bit more sophisticated in that sequence at the very beginning. And I, I really love that. And I, I like this. You're developing a sense of humor and going <laughs> deaf. I mean, just he's so great. And I love the the pacing with the like, you know, they put the thing on the, on the what is that, Lazy Susan or whatever those things are uh-huh. called. Yeah. yeah. You know, they put the thing on the Lazy Susan and they slide it over and it's like, it's and Williams is there the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. He like underscores the movement <laughs> yeah, of the thing. Yeah. You're like, what is going on? This is cinema at its greatest in in that moment. So that's why, you know, I, I struggle with this film because it was scary, but there are so many great cinematic moments. So when we talk about where, do, you know, where does this fit? I mean, yeah, it fits right in in terms of cinema history and, and the importance of it and all of that stuff. So does anything go? Sure, because we're having a little fun with anything goes. And then he takes a skewer and spears a guy right in the <laughs> chest with it. So it's like, off we go. OK. Yeah. Yeah. And and. The silliness of the the diamond, and and the ice and the like, you know, I mean, just it's it's you know, you know, where where where's the antidote? Where's the diamond? You know, what I mean, yeah. you know, what I mean, it's, just, it's great. Yeah, it. I had to go back six nights in a row, Sean. I saw Return of the Jedi six times in the theater, mm. but Temple of Doom, I had to see six nights in a row. I'm like, I had to get back into that, whatever that was. I want to say that even this conversation makes me want to watch it again. Yeah, same. Yeah. I'm sitting here talking about watching Ford run through this movie. I just, it's the best. I want to watch it again. Uh, But mixed reviews back when it came out. It has an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes, but, uh, you know, Ebert was like the bizarre, goofy, romantic adventure. Pauline Kael said it was sheerly pleasurable physical comedy. Pauline Kael hates everything. But um, <laughs> pleasurable physical comedy—the most I mean, sheerly pleasurable physical comedy I've seen in years. Wow, it's true. Wow, yeah. Uh, now, take a guess who said this? The ads that say this film may be too intense for younger children are fraudulent. No parent should allow a young child to see this traumatizing movie. It would be a cinematic form of child abuse. Even Harrison Ford is required to slap Quan and abuse Capshaw. There are no heroes connected with this film, only two villains, and their names are Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. You know who said this? Who? People! <laughs> people Magazine. People Magazine. People says Magazine. That, like, people calm down. I mean, I can't believe People Magazine said that. I mean, I guess I can for the time. Maybe. I don't know. And then they wrote an article about how celebrities are just like us. And they even go shopping at your local place. Look, we spotted Margot Kidder. And then they say this about, uh, calm down. I mean, yeah. Uh, And we mentioned Gremlins also came out this year. Between that and Temple of Doom, we were on our way to the PG-13 rating. Mm -hmm. No surprise. Mm -hmm. Nominated for two Oscars. Oh, which, by the way, not only were we on our way, you know, Spielberg was paramount in in making that happen. Because basically he called up uh, the motion picture, uh, what is it? The The MPAA? yeah, Yeah. He called up the MPAA and was like, we, we need to have something in between an R rating and a PG rating. He's like, maybe it's PG-14, maybe it's PG-13, I don't know. So really, it, it's it's a Spielberg uh, poll. Yeah, I, Ebert and Siskel and Ebert were always lobbying for an A rating, adults only. See, it wouldn't have that stigma of NC-17, but only adults go. And boy, I would love any movie where it's only adults, mm-hmm. no kids. I, you know, the great thing about... Uh, Movies out here in L.A. is they do a lot of industry screenings. Normally no kids, usually no food. And that's the best. <laughs> to what, I know what you said earlier about all that, but really with none of that distraction, oh, it's just glorious. Well, I mean, I think there's there's an argument on both sides. There's, you know, I, like I said, I enjoy now going in a group. I mean, when I when I saw Force Awakens, um, and it was in, you know, a movie, just a regular movie theater in Orange County. Uh, people applauded when Harrison Ford came on the screen. Of course. You know, people applauded when Carrie Fisher came on the screen. I mean, but this is just a random movie. This wasn't, you know, in LA where I might normally go. You know, this was just some movie theater. And so people were affected. It was great to see people being affected by this film in that way. So I think, you know, I think there's an argument both sides, right? I mean, I've gone to plenty of industry screenings and. You know, I've, I've gone to screenings at the Motion Picture Academy and all of that stuff. And th- that's a really great experience as well. I mean, you know, these are people that care about films. And, you know, so usually the screening rooms are, like, amazing and the sound is incredible and the picture is, like, pristine and perfect. And all of that stuff is is also fantastic for just enjoying the film. 
Oh, let me switch it to the new Beverly. Basically, they will throw you out if they see you on your phone. Yeah. And they will, and they should. And everyone around you will not tolerate it either. Yeah. And they'll let you know it. And uh, so that's the way I enjoy it. Just let's stop the nonsense and take in the movie. It's meant to be overwhelming and own you. And well, and it's one the of the... best ones do. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's one of the great things about going to the movies. One of the reasons why I, like, I just love, I love it when I get to go. Um, is the escapism in terms of I'm going to be here for two and a half, maybe three hours, depending on the film, maybe a little longer, depending on the movie. And I, I'm not going to look at my phone and I'm not going to do other stuff while I'm doing it. I'm not going to pause it because somebody's at the door. I'm not going to, you know, try to make dinner and watch parts of it. And, you know, I'm here to to watch this movie. I'm here to experience this story. I'm here to feel something. Maybe I'm here to learn something. You know, maybe in the end you you like the movie, maybe you don't. It doesn't even matter. But but you you've gone through a journey, and and there's no question that Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is a journey. It's a great yeah, it's a great journey. It, that it's supposed to work on you. Yeah. And distractions hurt that. Unfortunately. Um, one of the thing we just jumping back real quick about actors, I wanted to say uh, the the gentleman who played the the man in the village. Uh, he did not actually speak English. Have you heard this story? No. Yeah, he did not actually speak English, and all of his lines... The you will go to Pencott Palace Yes, guy? that guy. Yeah, all of his lines, Steven Spielberg basically stood by the camera and just basically said all of... Like, said them one by one, and the guy would just repeat it. And he was like, <laughs> you know, somehow my editor and whatever they like put together, and it worked great, but... <laughs> again, movie magic. Movie magic. Could be worse. I suppose you could be Ray Chow, I think his name is, who who played Lao Shea. His mm. voice was entirely dubbed by actor Ron Taylor. So Wow. Nice try, Lao Shea. Wow. But uh <laughs> anyway, so So John Williams made a movie. So naturally he was nominated for an Oscar for it. So this happened again. Two nominations for this film and a one for visual effects. So those two nominations uh were uh, I suppose we another argument for stunt Oscars maybe there, but anyway, hundred percent on the stunts, hundred <laughs> percent on the. I wish there was, you know, I, I wish there were more. I mean, I know it would right. make the Not, I know it would make the Academy Awards even longer than it is, but like I wish there were more technical awards because there there are people on crews that don't get credit, not the least of which is like a first AD. You know, and 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 an assistant director department where you've got, you know, you look at the amount of people that are on that set. All those scenes with all those kids and all of that stuff that's happening, and the cameras moving, and the mine carts are, you know, doing their thing, and they're coming by. I mean, you know, there's got you've got real elements that are dangerous, and you've got real, you know, there's smoke, and there's all. I mean, there's all this stuff happening, and these folks were able to all work together and and create these images and moments and and. I mean, it's just astounding, and I and I think there's a lot of people on a movie set that just don't get their due, uh, and people don't even know, like, oh, what's an assistant? Are they the assistant to the director? No, they actually have a job that really, <laughs> really helps make the film, and it's like you know, people don't know, and that's okay. They don't know. They don't have to know all the ins and outs of the industry, but there's just so many folks. I'm a production designer. I mean, well, you considering know, eight of Elstree's nine studios were taken up with this movie. Uh, maybe that should have been considered for an Oscar nomination right? as well. And some of the, I mean, the, the mine, the mines set, the Kali human sacrifice set. I mean, the palace itself. I mean, so many great sets. Well, in the minecart, that was all like miniatures and all of that stuff. Well, that, I mean, for that with, it won the Oscar yeah. with live action stuff. I mean, and and I I still think it looks pretty good. I was yeah. when I was watching, I was like, yeah, this actually looks still pretty good. I like it. You know, I, I mean, of course, nowadays we would do it very differently, but but uh, yeah, incredible. Uh, and then Christmas 1986, the film sets another record: 1.4 million VHS cassettes sold at 29.95. So, yeah, I'm sure that I'm sure I bought it. Oh yeah, yeah, I did. yeah. I mean, had to have it. I had them all. That now was, I have the Blu-rays. You know, I, I this is where I I dislike being able to just stream stuff or whatever. You know, first of all, the the quality isn't always what people think it is. It's very rarely I mean, is good. No. It, Blu-rays still are the best at, in 4K and more so at, you know, managing the shadows and the colors and yeah. all that, keeping it. Otherwise, the pixelation just drives me nuts on a streaming service. Well, and it's funny because I think people sometimes think, oh, well, it's 4K. It looks great. And like, go walk up to your television 
get closer, see what you see, because you're going to see pixels, you know. And, you know, yeah, maybe from a distance, you know, those pixels come together and it forms this beautiful image. And maybe you've got, you know, HDR and like now we've got this like high dynamic range with all of these colors and all of this. Yeah, okay, whatever. That doesn't always make or break anything in terms of storytelling. I mean, I'm a big fan that everything is story. You know, from from your color palette to the, the way you frame an image to how you decide to move the camera or not move the camera. Uh, to the performance, to the music. I mean, all of it is story. All of it comes together to to tell maybe the totality of the story or it it enhances the story in some way. <clears throat> but uh, this movie in particular, I think, captures all of that in, in such a great way. And, and it doesn't need this, like, you know, high dynamic range color thing or what, you know, it doesn't need all of that. It, it, it has it all there. And... I don't know where I'm going with that point, but I guess my point is technology is great, but it's not an answer to great storytelling. Great storytelling is just great storytelling. Sean, well said. I think you've (laughs) wrapped it up. I think you put a bow on this show, everything we need to know about Temple of Doom. So let's uh, wrap it up. Once again, I'm Paul Preston. I'm Sean Blodgett. And hit us with the plugs, Sean. Uh, You can find me on Instagram at Creative Motion Entertainment. You can also go to my website, creativemotionentertainment.com. And please be sure to chime in your thoughts at themovieguys.net, at countdowntofiveshow at gmail.com, or on social media, which includes facebook.com forward slash countdowntofive, at countdown to five on instagram and at countdown the number two the number five show on twitter and of course you can get the show at youtube itunes spotify podbean and of course the movieguys.net plus all the old episodes of countdown tonight if you haven't seen it check it out you're gonna love it it's this but star wars basically that's yeah. right Oh, uh, and, uh, of course, all of this is brought to you by Creative Motion Entertainment and Digital Mind Productions. Yes, if you need uh, random production stuff with video, where are your guys? <laughs> Let us know. Exactly. Sean, I'm shocked this came in at uh, a running time that looks to be shorter than the last episode. We're already streamlining this thing. I'm shocked. You? Nothing shocks me. I'm a scientist. <laughs>